Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture tonight. Please stand for our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, we pray all our inspirations. Carry them on by your wonderful assistance, that every word and work of ours may always begin from you, and through you be successfully completed, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Father says, Today the word Ecclesia Militans, uh, the church militant, is somewhat out of fashion, but in reality we can understand even better that it is true, that it bears truth in itself. We see how evil wishes to dominate the world and that it is necessary to enter the battle with evil. We are in a battle for the faith, my dear friends. A serious battle. And it has to do with the salvation of the world. And so here at the Institute, I am proud that we bring regularly Orthodox Catholic speakers to be able to share with us the truths of the faith so that we, the church faithful, can continue to grow. Our speaker this evening, His Excellency Bishop Robert Morlino, was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania and entered seminary in the Maryland province of the Society of Jesus. He was ordained to the priesthood on June 1, 1974. I would be born 11, 12 months later. <laughs> His education includes a master's degree in philosophy from the University of Notre Dame, a Master's of Divinity degree from the Weston School of Theology in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and a Doctorate in Moral Theology from the Gregorian University in Rome with a specialization in Fundamental Moral Theology and Bioethics. Father Morlino taught philosophy at Loyola College, St. Joseph University, Boston College, the University of Notre Dame, and St. Mary's College. On July 6, 1999, Pope John Paul II appointed him the ninth Bishop of Helena, Bishop Morlino was installed as Bishop of Madison, Wisconsin, on August 1st, 2003. Please join me in welcoming Bishop Robert Morlino. We don't need to worry too much about this because... Uh, my preference is that anybody who wants an open shot can have it. <laughs> I don't need to hide behind anything. Sometimes uh, I'm welcomed as a bishop who has been battle-hardened because certainly the battles that Deacon Sabatino was just talking about, those battles certainly happen in the church in the United States and in every diocese to a great degree. The Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin is the belly of the beast of a certain kind of political liberalism, a certain kind of a liberal dictatorship of relativism. And that's the air that I breathe every day. So if people want to say, well, you're battle-hardened in that sense, I'll accept that. However, they also usually add, you don't look battle-hardened. <laughs> and I say, no, I look fat. <laughs> so with God's grace, one can always go on and survive and do far better than that even. We have to be happy warriors. If we're called to be warriors, we have to be happy warriors not joyless ones, because joylessness doesn't attract anybody. Everybody wants to be happy. 
everybody wants to be happy. And so if we're going to attract rather than repel, we have to be close enough to Jesus Christ that the joy that comes from being close to him and can't come from anywhere else is clear in our lives. And that joy is irrepressible. So we come here tonight for adult formation because we need to know a lot of things. We need to explain. We need to be apologists for a lot of things. But the best apologists are the best witnesses. And when we come together for faith formation, for intellectual formation in our faith, our goal is always that the time we spend at an evening like this draws us closer to Jesus Christ in the relationship that we always have. And so at the beginning of an evening like this, it's always good for us to remind ourselves what are we? We're here to grow in love of Jesus Christ. We're here to be more effective witnesses. And if we have to enter into battle, and I tell those great young men who come to the seminary for the Diocese of Madison, I tell them, realize you are not boarding a cruise ship. This is a battleship. I love cruise ships, and this ain't it. <laughs> we have to carry around with us a joy. A joy that comes from knowing that the power that conquers evil once for all is the power of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, my friend and your friend. And these are especially good thoughts as we celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate heart of Mary, and as we prepare for the Lord's Day tomorrow. Now, I don't think either side is my better side. I, I already told her if she doesn't have angle lens, forget this. <laughs> now, dear friends, the modern moral crisis and the natural law, I want to talk about both of those, and they're very, very intertwined. Is this one of those that if I were to write on it, it would break it. I will have a marker for you. Okay, no, I teach high school every Tuesday morning when I'm in town. And they have said, I don't want to get too far from the action. Thank you. The, uh, but they have these things where you can put it on your laptop and then it goes on there. I don't know how to do any of that. <laughs> but if you're right on that with this, it breaks it. Because I've done that. <laughs> Unintentionally. But at least at the high school level, they would never think of saying no to the bishop. But I Don't do it. They'd never think of that, at least at the high school level. Now, natural law and contemporary moral crisis. What do we mean by contemporary moral crisis? Well, a lot of things are a mess. The economy is a mess, morals are a mess. But what are the elements of the contemporary moral crisis? What does it really boil down to, substantially, essentially? 
Well, I think we can have an icon. I shouldn't use the word icon because that has sacred connotation. I think we have a picture, a picture of the contemporary moral crisis in our friend for whom we pray, Madonna. Not the one with the immaculate heart. <laughs> the other one. The other one. And she's in Europe on a tour, and she's singing a song entitled Human Nature. Natural law is the law of human nature. So she's singing about human nature. And what does she mean by human nature? Well, it doesn't explain it in the song, so she explains it by what she does. And I don't want to scandalize anybody, but this is just a fact, that she exposes certain aspects of her anatomy as she sings about human nature. That's what she does. Well, if you want a picture of the contemporary moral crisis, that's it. Now, don't think about that picture too much, obviously. <laughs> but that's the picture. Another glimpse of the contemporary moral crisis was given to us years ago when George Stephanopoulos wrote his book, his biography of President Clinton. And the title of it was, All Too Human. All Too Human. That's a book about human nature. And what's the point? All too human, all too sinful. Human nature is all about sin. And Madonna certainly makes it clear that that's what's on her agenda with the behavior that accompanies her sung words. Human nature, all about sin. That's the contemporary moral crisis. To be human is to be sinful. And how often we rationalize when we sin ourselves and say, well, I'm human. I'm human. Well, we are. But when we say that, when human nature is reduced to sinfulness, that's what's said. All too human means all too sinful. The unspoken words there are, Jesus Christ died and rose for nothing. Jesus Christ died and rose to recreate human nature, to return human nature to a project of grace rather than a project of sin. So it's very anti-Christian to speak of human nature as the abode of sinfulness. We are weak, and we are sinful. But the whole point of Jesus Christ is that by his grace, and never apart from it, we can do much better than that. So let's just look at the contemporary moral crisis, its component parts. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-God. It came on real strong with the American pragmatist philosopher John Dewey and his writings about human nature where he said human nature is not to have a nature. Human nature is to be made in the image and likeness of God. Human nature as 
not having a nature is a direct rejection of God. So when we reduce human nature to its sinful elements, that's a straightforward rejection of Christ. And when we say that human nature means not to have a nature, that means there is no God. Because we fashion our own nature as we go along. We fashion our nature as we go along. That is, I am God. I am the God of my human nature. It's very anti-Christian, very anti-God. That's part of the contemporary moral crisis. It's godlessness. The second element is the contemporary moral crisis demeans human dignity, just like Madonna does when she conducts her performance. It's demeaning of human dignity. The most demeaning thing of all of human dignity is, of course, the number of abortions performed. But then you have situations like the town in New England which wants to fine its residents $20 every time they curse in public. Well, I'm not in favor of cursing. But isn't the protection of the most helpless human life a lot more important than that? We have time for laws about unbelievable things. Laws, you know, like Mayor Bloomberg and the soda. <laughs> and I mean, he is really short-sighted. This is true. I haven't drunk soda, sweet soda, in about 30 years. <laughs> and it doesn't do a darn thing to help obesity. So we have these nanny state laws. What are we going to eat? Are we going to swear? There's time to make a law about everything except the protection of the most helpless human life. And once the most helpless human life is unprotected, anything can happen. Then the law is whatever some majority somewhere thinks it ought to be. We can make up laws about all sorts of things. And indeed, that's what's going on in our country. That's a sign of the moral crisis. The demeaning of human dignity, which means that fundamental issues are not addressed, but name any other issue in the book, like cursing on the street, and you can have a law for that. But not a law for what's basic. So the denial of Christ and God, the demeaning of human dignity, the redefining of marriage, to mean almost anything. This is a fact. There is an international group now of individuals who favor bestiality. Seriously. And what they're doing is they're studying the political dynamics that the gay lobby used in the United States to make gay marriage so much more acceptable. They're studying how that was done with the hope that maybe they can do it in terms of marriages that it would involve bestiality. Now, I hope that somewhere along the line, common sense would put a stop to that. Because any one of them, 
might wind up getting the worst of it from the tiger. <laughs> Where is common sense? Very precious commodity. And lastly, and I could go on, the list could get longer and longer. We've got to limit this somehow here. We've got to stick to basics. The contemporary moral crisis is a matter of the upsurge in violence. Violence becomes more and more a solution to problems. Violence becomes the drug of choice for young people to use to escape. First it was alcohol, then it was sex, then it was funny cigarettes and other drugs, and now the drug of choice is violence. You kill others and then kill yourself so that in the end there can be no justice in this world. It's incredible how young people are being formed through video games and all kinds of other influences in the mass media to be desensitized to violence, to see violence as a viable option, being formed that way. And whoever thought that high schools would become an arena for fear for the life of teenagers? Whoever thought that one would have to worry about serious security in a high school? I went to a Jesuit high school in the early 60s. We didn't need any armed guards. One cross-eyed look from the Jesuit headmaster brought total and instantaneous order. Whoever thought magnetometers, armed policemen in high schools, whoever thought that when little Johnny in kindergarten teases little Amy, that people would wind up calling the cops. There is no lack of evidence that there is a contemporary moral crisis. And the focal symptoms of it are the explicit denial of Christ and God, the demeaning of human dignity, the redefining and fooling around with the meaning of marriage, and the upsurge in violence. That's how we know there's a crisis. I mean, the Consumer Confidence Index is not good. Different polls say this way or that way that people are upset and so on. But concretely, there's a contemporary moral crisis because of the conspiracy of issues like those, but those are the most basic defining issues. And that's what happens when people believe that there is no human nature, rather that we create our own nature. There is no God who gave us the gift of a human nature, intelligence and freedom. We are the creator of our own human nature, however it turns out, and it's nobody's business but mine. That rough individualism that leads to all, all sorts of other things that Pope Benedict talks about. Now, contemporary moral crisis and natural law. What about the natural law? First of all, Holy Father is very interested in a rediscovery of the truth of the natural law. 
He sees that as one of the most important missions of the church. We talked about that in February when I was over there for the official Ad Limina visit with the Holy Father. And we talked about teaching about the natural law specifically. And the Holy Father, of course, made many good points. It's amazing how patient he is listening to bishops. Very, very patient. And he listens very intently, and then he comes back in great detail and in great depth. He doesn't say, what you said, Bishop, is very nice, thank you, who's next? He listens and he responds in depth. But what he said was, and this is not something that no one else ever thought of, but he's so succinct, that the language of natural law, that language needs an overhaul. Because you got all these philosophical types running around who think that human nature means not to have a nature. They're out there, they're on the loose. And then you have all kinds of people talking about the natural law as though it were simply the laws of biology and mixing up the order of sin and grace and the operation of the laws of biology very complex stuff. And we don't want to turn natural law thinking into bioethics. Holy Father said, instead of talking about natural law, let's put that language aside and let's talk about the language of creation. Because so many people today like everything green. And that's green talk. Language of creation, they like that. And let's take another clue from them and talk about the ecology of human nature. They're very concerned that the ecology of plants and animals be safeguarded. Very concerned about that, plants and animals. When it comes to human nature, the heck with their ecology. Artificial birth control, in vitro fertilization, surrogate motherhood. They give the spotted owl a Cadillac, and human nature gets a broken down bicycle. The language of creation, the language imprinted in creation by the Creator when He created, the language which creation speaks in order to flourish the ecology of human nature, protecting that ecology, and the special role that is given to the woman in protecting that ecology. With Mary and like Mary. The easiest thing to do is to see that our devotion to the Blessed Mother leads us to respect the ecology of human nature just as she lived and died in utter respect for Jesus, her son. It's not hard to preach about green. When I preach about green, I always say it reminds me of the Blessed Mother. They can't figure out why. In the beautiful Acathist hymn to the Blessed Mother, of which uh, 
uh, Deacon Sabatino reminded me tonight, we praise our Blessed Mother as the gardener of the garden of life. Can't get any greener than that. The gardener of the garden of life. So, we need a new language to talk about the natural law. Natural law is the language of creation. Natural law as the ecology of human nature. Safeguarding the ecology of human nature. Helping creation correctly to speak the language that the Creator gave it to speak. Those are beautiful concepts. Now we looked at the symptoms of the contemporary moral crisis. It's very interesting that the basics of the natural law are a direct response to those symptoms. Education in the ecology of human nature, education in the language of creation is the way toward education and formation in the natural law. And our Holy Father is convinced that nothing else will save us from the very bad path that we're on, except if somehow we cannot return. We have to return to the truth of our human nature. We have to accept the beauty of the language of creation. We have to respect the ecology of human nature. So, the four basic data of the natural law. We had the four symptoms. Now we have the four basic data. God does exist. Natural law. Those laws of humanness that can be determined on the basis of reason alone. We don't believe the natural law because we're Catholic. We believe the natural law because we're human. Whenever we insist that the natural law, the language of creation, the ecology of human nature, whenever we insist that that be respected by the civil law, we're not forcing everybody else to be Catholic. The civil law is for the common good. And the common good means that which brings about the flourishing of humanness, not the abandonment of them in their sinfulness. What's good for human excellence is what we're interested in, in terms of the common good. And it is for the common good that we can come to know by reason alone that God exists. Now, I could teach a course, and so could some others here, on proof for the existence of God. Proofs. I could teach three courses on that. Once upon a time I did. But people take for granted today that either I believe in God or I don't. The fact that reason leads me to God is part of the language of creation, the ecology of human nature, written on the human heart by the Creator. The Creator created me to use my intelligence, to use my reason, to come to know that God exists. Now, if you look around, you notice people are not too big into reason these days. 
reason is not at its highest point in human history. Everything is about feelings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> feelings. It is. They were talking today on the news about some situation where this individual was brought into the presence of a piece of art that depicted a very aged gentleman, obviously weary after many years of life, dying alone and abandoned. That was the artwork. And the individual who saw that piece of art said, I couldn't even control my tears as I walked down the steps leaving that room where that exhibit was available. I couldn't even wait till I got back in my car. I couldn't control the tears. And what did the media anchor say? Oh, that was a very emotional response, wasn't it? Might as well said, well, when he got back to the car, was the sky blue? Was it still blue? Of course it's an emotional response. But that's what people expect to find when they're looking for goodness. If there's a strong emotional response, it might not indicate goodness at all, but that's what people are looking for, the emotion. So it's a hard sell that people have to love and respect the language of their own creation, which tells them about God by reason alone and provides the vestibule for coming to a point of faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ. The ways in which the existence of God can be proven all refer to the fact that in the end, even those who say that the world makes no sense have to act as though it does. You know, if the world makes no sense, then why would anybody eat? What difference would it make? Why would anybody sleep? Nothing makes any sense. Why would you sleep? There's no answer to that. And yet people structure their lives according to a sense of the world that they discover somewhere. They may say there's no sense, but they can't live that out because if they don't stop from crossing the street when the signal is red, they will find out that there is sense in the world. That is, if they had stopped, they wouldn't have gotten killed. But if nothing makes any sense, go ahead, cross the street against the light. It's impossible to live as though the world doesn't make sense. And if the world makes sense, God is the sense of the world that lies outside the world. God is the sense of the world who lies outside the world. Now, good philosophers, and there are several good philosophers here whom I myself at times find intimidating, Good philosophers say, well, if God is the sense of the world that lies outside the world, then how could we really know God? Reason leads us to know that there exists a God who is the sense of the world lying outside the world. The only way we could really get to know that God is if that God somehow invaded the world 
And didn't he do just that on Christmas Day? The God Invasion. They ought to make a movie like that. (laughs) Everything imaginable, every imaginable creature is invading us. And we see that in the movies. Night causes nightmares to little kids. How about the God Invasion? The gentlest and yet most powerful invasion that ever took place on Christmas Day. Because God took on our human nature in Jesus Christ, we can know God. Jesus Christ is the perfect copy of God the Father. Perfect copy, says the letter to the Hebrews. So we've got to start to remind people that the language of creation and the ecology of our human nature, the use of human intelligence, leads us to a source and origin of all things outside the world, that God who is in fact the sense of the world. And then it goes on from there. Now that argument can take many, many different forms. And I can't go into all of those tonight. But human beings are made to know God by reason alone. That's the point. That drive toward the infinite is in the person. Every time, for example, that I see something beautiful, I say to myself, that is beautiful. Notice I never say to myself, that is beauty itself. People sometimes say that is beauty itself when they're intoxicated or otherwise under the influence. But normally when people say something is beautiful, they mean it's limited in its beauty, that is, it is not beauty itself. Well, what is beauty itself? Who is beautiful in himself? Where does that sense of beauty in itself come from? Comes from the Creator's law written in the heart. Comes from the language of creation. Every time I say that something is good, Every time I say that something is true, I stop short of saying that something is truth itself. That something is goodness itself. That something is beauty itself. I stop short of saying that because somehow I got a sense that there is a beauty itself, a goodness itself, a truth itself. And that's what we call God that which is good, goodness, truth, beauty, itself. That's God. Human reason lifts me up there. Apart from faith. So when we want a culture and the common good to reflect the truth of God's existence, we're not forcing our religion on anybody. We're not forcing our religion on anybody. We're inviting them to be more fully human through the use of their reason. And we've got to stop allowing people to say that we as Catholics are trying to force our religion. We're not trying to force anything. We're trying to remind them who they are at the deepest level as created by God. And that's not harm. That's big-time help to the human person. Does them no harm at all. Second datum of the natural law. The unsurpassed dignity of the human person. 
As Vatican II said so beautifully, the human person is the only being which God made for itself. The human being is the only being who can never be used as a means to an end. All other creatures are given to us as means to ends, especially the end of our own salvation. All of creation is a means to your being saved and to mine. The human person is not a means to anything. The human person is an end in himself or herself. Reason tells us that, because the human person has intelligence and freedom which no other creature has. Human person is made in the image and likeness of God the Creator. So the existence of God, the unsurpassed dignity of the human person. Therefore, the natural law proclaims the sacredness of life from conception until natural death. What else could it proclaim? The only being, the human person, which God willed for its own self. Of course, there's a sacredness to that life, to that creation. The third basic datum of the natural law, the definition of marriage. One husband, one wife, one lifetime with openness to children. One husband, one wife, one lifetime with openness to children. That is the law of creation written on the human heart. If the human person considers that, as it says in the scripture, it's not good for the man to be alone. No one wants to be alone. It's not only Catholics who don't want to be alone. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let life come forth from your intimacy. It's not only Catholics who are called to be procreative. The prohibition of artificial contraception is not sectarian, denominational, Catholic teaching. The prohibition of artificial contraception comes from the language of creation and the ecology of the human nature. The human being using reason to reflect on his or her anatomy can figure that out and has for thousands of years. So when people are pro-abortion, when people want to redefine marriage, when we have the Freedom From Religion Foundation, like we have in Madison and uh, across the Potomac here, their, their national offices now, when we have these things, these are all straightforward rejections of the natural law and straightforward exhibits exhibits of the contemporary moral crisis. And lastly, violence. So again, if violence is a solution to human problems, then in the end, civil laws become useless. You can't have a society. Because if the offender commits suicide, the offender places himself or herself outside the realm of punishment. And if there is no punishment, there is no law. If there's no punishment, there's no law. So the acceptance of violence as the drug of choice, violence as the solution to problems, ending with violence against oneself, makes civil society in the end impossible 
because punishment in this world becomes impossible and so justice in this world becomes impossible. All of these areas that are symptomatic of the contemporary moral crisis are the data, the basic data, of the natural law, of the language of creation, of the ecology of human nature that needs to be proclaimed. So, there is only one thing left to say, and that the proclaimer of that is you. That's why you come here. Not only once, but there's a whole curriculum. And you come here in faith and hope that Jesus Christ is more intensely your friend when you leave than when you got here. And that's the way it is, because when you offer the sacrifice of time so that you can be formed by the Holy Spirit through unworthy instruments, you cannot help but enrich your own friendship with Christ many, many, many fold. So thanks for what you're doing. Thanks to this wonderful institute, the work of the Holy Spirit through Deacon Sabatino and so many others, the board and all. And thanks to you who are going to pick up the ball and run with it. And when you're running with the ball, never forget that you have already won the game. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and no one can change anything about that. In the end, you win. So play hard and run hard. I can still do that even with this. I can still play hard and run hard spiritually because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And so can you. Don't minimize what you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please. And thanks again for listening to me tonight, and God bless you all. Thank you very much, Bishop Morlino. As I said at dinner this evening, St. Ignatius of Antioch tells us, a disciple of St. John the Beloved, that where the bishop is, there let the faithful gather. Just as where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Uh, I am so proud to be able to have introduced His Excellency Bishop Morlino to all of you this evening, but I would say maybe more proud to introduce all of you the Institute of Catholic Culture, to His Excellency. Thank you very much for coming this evening. Uh, since the defense of marriage between a man and a woman seems to be the next thing on the agenda for the secularists, well, how do you defend that the age-old argument that if God created a natural law, why did he create people with homosexual tendencies? Well, we could never say that God did that because medically, and by that I mean the judgment of sound physicians, uh, the American Medical Association has a political agenda, unfortunately, and they're not really reliable as an arbiter for this. But there is, we say in the church that homosexuality is an intrinsic disorder. Being homosexual is not a sin, but acting it out is gravely sinful because it's an intrinsically disordered state. God, who is the author of order and reason, could not create someone to be disordered. How that happens is profoundly mysterious. But if God had created people to be homosexual, then it would follow that homosexuality, homosexual marriage would be acceptable. But there is no intimacy, there's no communion of life and love there because children are ruled out. 
And children are not the only good of marriage, but they're an essential good of marriage. And they're completely ruled out. And that's why artificial contraception is so problematic. Because it's a different mechanism that's used to rule out children. But when children are ruled out, that's not God's plan. God's plan was it's not good for the man to be alone. Let us make a helpmate. Be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's God's plan. And every human male has a right to marry a female. And every human female has a right to marry a male. We're not taking away anybody's right to marry. What we're upset about is, does anybody have a right to redefine marriage? That's another right, and the answer to that is no. Okay? So that's what has to be said. I mean, because of the politicizing and because of the role of the mass media, trying to cast this as marriage equality, meaning that a right to marry includes the right to redefine marriage. That's false. There is a right to marry a person of the opposite sex. That doesn't include a right to redefine marriage. And that's the idea of people who think generally that whatever they think is true is true. And they think that way about marriage, or more importantly, they feel that way. Therefore, it must be true for them. And that's the end of the discussion. But God is not capable of creating intrinsically disordered people as intrinsically disordered. Our God follows reason because he is reason itself. That's a strong point that Benedict always makes. Okay? Thank you very much for the talk. Just expanding on your reference to Dewey and the American culture, can you just talk about to what extent the American notion of rights is compatible with the Catholic understanding of natural law or the language of creation? Is there any overlap there? Because it seems like they're slowly uh, incompatible. Less and less. Natural law and natural rights go together. One has a right to whatever is necessary in order to fulfill an obligation. Obligations precede rights. I have an obligation to whatever, and then I have the right to whatever it is that would be means to fulfilling that obligation. In the United States right now, if somebody feels that they want something, they immediately claim to have a right to it. I mean, we're getting all kinds of things now. People have a right to cell phones who can't pay for them. You know, people have rights to all, if they like it, they have a right to it. That's the new style of the dictatorship of relativism. Again, at some point, common sense will put a stop to that. We have to hope and pray that the economy doesn't crash, because that's what will put a stop to it. And we have to hope and pray that it doesn't happen because there are a lot of people around who believe that that's impossible. They think that we can keep printing money and it will still have value. And that can't be. So with a lot of these things, history will correct a lot of the, one way or another, a lot of the mistakes that are being made now, the, a lot of the mistaken ideas that are around. But those will be corrected at quite a cost if we don't correct them ourselves. Thank you for coming, Excellency. If you could, maybe in light of natural law and the four points you made, comment briefly on the church's opposition to the HHS mandate and Obamacare. We, you're right. There are two things in that amendment to... Uh, Obamacare that uh, are problematic, very problematic. The first is that that amendment seeks to define what is the proper activity for a religious group. 
In other words, when a group does X, Y, and Z, they're religious, they're considered religious. And if they go beyond that, they're not considered religious. The government has no right to delineate what appropriate religious activity is for a religion. That's really getting under the hood, as it were, of religion and crossing the wires there. I mean, religions call their own shots because what is at stake there is the individual salvation of the people. Yeah, one of the things that amazes me is that salvation is rarely thought about in all these arguments. It's more some kind of a political agenda. And it's like the culture doesn't want to believe that we believe that we have to live this way in order to be saved. If a person believes that he or she has to live in a certain way in order to be saved, that's their highest freedom, the freedom of religion. I mean, it's one thing to oppress people's rights in this worldly matters, but when it comes to a right to get to heaven, to take away that right or try to suppress it is a very grave evil. So we can't have the state defining the limits of religious activity. Can't be done. That's the first thing. The, the second thing is the conscience protection of faithful Catholics, whether of institutions or of individuals. We bishops have to stand up with lay people who own businesses and who believe that it is immoral for them to provide contraceptive culture for their employees. We have to stand with those kinds of employers. We have to protect their consciences, not just the consciences of institutions. And the state is trying to coerce those consciences, and we cannot in any way involve ourselves in that. That has to stop. Because once the state starts to monkey under the hood of a particular religion, and what is at stake is people's salvation, then we got a big problem. The only reason we're having this big fight is because most of the people in the argumentation don't believe in salvation. And they're into a what's a big deal thing here. Religious freedom means that you can't force your Catholic ways on me. Right, it does. Nobody's trying to force you to go to Mass. Nobody's trying to force you to say the Rosary. Those are our Catholic ways. Abortion is wrong because it's inhuman. The redefinition of marriage is inhuman. It binds all human beings. It doesn't bind just Catholics. We got to keep all of that straight. And we've got to stay united. God knows. Your Excellency, we have a, an email coming in from Everett Allen from Jamaica. From Who's, Jamaica? From Jamaica. It's too hot there. I'm happy I'm here. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going and visiting. But the, the question is, I added it slightly, at the, at the heart of the modern moral crisis is the notion of individual freedom and the right to move beyond the constraints of law and nature. How do we answer those who reject objective truth by appealing to natural law or by appealing to objective. the very thing they reject? Okay. I said this is a head-on battle. But the only answer that we can give is, are you can claim there's no objective truth. Try to live as though there isn't. You know, see if you can go down to the local supermarket and get a giraffe steak or whatever. Though I should remember, I'm in Washington. Maybe it's possible here. <laughs> If there are any congressmen that like giraffe, I bet you can get it. But no, the people cannot live as though there is no objective truth. They can say it. And then you say, well, you're, you know, meaning comes from words 
and associated behavior. So the meaning and the associated behavior got to stick together. And if the words mean one thing and the associated behavior says the opposite, well, then you've got no meaning. So people who want to claim you can't appeal to objective truth in order to defend the reality of, of objective truth, what has to be said is you can say that there's no objective truth. You cannot live it out. You cannot produce the appropriate accompanying behavior that goes with the statement there is no objective truth. And therefore, what you're saying, I, I respectfully tell you, is meaningless. Because the words and the behavior are not in sync. Okay? Thank you very much, Your Excellency. There were a few people kind of lurking before we started the questions, and they're welcome to lurk. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to leave right this minute. So if there are a few people that want to ask, I can't stay all night, but I love you, and I'm not in any, I'm not in any hurry to leave. Okay, so let's, let's have a blessing, and then see what you can do to corner me. <laughs> But try to, you know, moderate that because uh, I can still run interference, even for myself, if I have to. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, be upon you all and remain forever. Amen. Let us be in peace, as the Italians would say, Buona Domenica. Have a great Sunday. <laughs> Buon Domingo. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.